Our epistle lesson this morning comes from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And as always, that's printed in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice, of all guile, insincerity, evil, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. May God bless the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Well, today we are so grateful to have had our presentation of Bibles to our third graders and to continue in our resetting series. We're thinking about how to reset, how to find our footing, our grounding after what has been a chaotic season. So last week, Sterling preached and talked about Jesus as our cornerstone and how knowing that Jesus has been faithful in the past can inform us to know and believe that Jesus will be faithful in the future. As our cornerstone, Jesus is the one who should ground and orient us, the one who should inform and guide our decisions in every season of life. So when thinking about resetting after a crazy season, we must begin with that, with Jesus as our center, as the core of what we do, of why we do anything at all. And so it is only through him that we can have hope and to build this spiritual and lasting house that Peter talks about. So throughout the series, we're looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. And in this epistle, Peter is teaching newly baptized Christians about how they are to live in the world, about what it means that they've been given new birth and new life through Jesus, and how that changes how they are to be in the world. And so the first thing he tells them is what to get rid of. He says, get rid of the malice, the guile, the envy, the slander. You don't need any of that stuff anymore. But rather, rather than all that stuff, long for the pure spiritual milk that can help you grow big and strong into salvation. And then Peter says, to do this, we are to come to him, that is Jesus, as a living stone and to let ourselves be built up into a spiritual house. I have to be honest with you, I've read several commentaries throughout the past week or so and you know, read from preachers that are much smarter than me that have done this much longer than me, and I still don't quite understand what a living stone is. And I don't know if any of you are with me in this, because when I think about the two words, they seem to contradict each other. To be living seems to be moving and growing and thriving, and it seems to imply movement, growth. But to be a stone, stones don't move, rocks don't grow, they just kind of exist as they are in the world. And when I think about things that are living, I think about things that we take care of. And so at the nine o'clock service, I'd said something about how we don't have pet rocks. You know, we don't do that. And I was informed that actually people did have pet rocks. I was not one of those people. I don't understand that at all, but could I see a raising of hands? Who had a pet rock in this room? No one in here? So maybe it's not me. Maybe I'm not the one that was wrong about this. But all I'm saying, pet rocks aside, 
living stone, the phrase is kind of paradoxical. It doesn't make a lot of logical sense. But perhaps in the contrary nature of the two words, to be living and a stone, we find the truth. Because if we're honest, there are a lot of things that Christ has called us to that are contrary to the world. As we live in the world, but we're not of the world, perhaps to be a living stone means that we do grow and transform and try to be more and more like Jesus every day, while also remaining remaining rooted and grounded in what we know to be true about God so that we can build that strong and spiritual house. There are many verses in the Bible that, that support this type of transformational, countercultural living. I think one of the most famous is Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that says, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And then, of course, Jesus had something to say about this as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that Jesus gave, where he told people about what it means to be a disciple, right in the middle of all of it, he just throws out, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we have all of these verses about what it means to be transformed more and more into the likeness of God every day while we're here on earth. And this reminds me that the founder of what is now United Methodism believed in Christian perfection because of verses like these. He didn't just believe that we would be perfect one day when we were in heaven, when we were away from all of the pain and temptations and sin of this life. He believed it was actually possible to be made perfect here and now. And this didn't mean that we live in a world where all of a sudden we don't experience the challenges of the world, but it means that as people who have repented, who have turned away from malice and evil and envy and slander, and have turned towards the way of God, things that bring about life and peace, that we can be made more perfect in love. And again, these, our relationship with God doesn't mean that this will be easy, but it does mean that through a lifetime process of trying to become more like God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is actually possible. And the really amazing thing is that we don't have to wait to be transformed. This is something we can do here and now. We are transformed in all sorts of ways throughout our lives. We are constantly changing and evolving. I mean, think about it. Would you say that you are the same person today that you were 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or even March 1st of 2020? There are so many ways that we are changed and influenced because of experiences we have, because of new knowledge we take on, because of relationships we have. All of these things, everything we experience in this life changes us in some way. It adds a layer and a complexity to who we are, to how we see the world, and to how we interact with others in the world. Humans grow and transform truly from the moment they are conceived. I'm in this stage in my life where I'm reminded of this growth pretty much every day. There's not a day that I can get on social media or even check my phone when I don't hear about another friend expecting a baby 
or a neighbor or a coworker or my sister-in-law. It just seems like everyone in my life are growing children right now. And with that comes something that you can kind of expect. They follow the same pattern. First, the couple will post a picture with their ultrasound, and they're so excited to welcome new baby whenever that day is to come. And then perhaps there's a gender reveal, and then there are baby showers where people shower this growing fetus and shower their parents with things that they will need as that baby comes into the world and becomes a growing human being. So nine months later, when it comes time for the baby to be born, we all wait expectantly to see a picture of the new bundle of joy with the wrinkly fingers and the wrinkly toes. We want to know how big the baby is. Does the baby look like the dad or the mom? Wrapped up in the swaddle with the baby are all the expectations and anticipation we have felt waiting for the baby to be born. But the birth of the baby is never where the excitement and growth and anticipation ends. Can you imagine if it were? That would be insane. If the moment the baby were born, we were like, well, that's it. I guess my job here is done. The baby is here. No, of course not. The baby has to learn how to live, how to eat, how to sleep, how to roll over, how to play, eventually how to crawl, to pull up, to stand. And then before you know it, they're toddlers with very strong opinions and preferences. And you might kind of wish you could go back a little bit <laughs> when they didn't have such strong feelings. And then before you know it, they are third graders who come before us today and receive their Bibles. The church a long time ago decided that third grade was a good grade to give these dedicated, prayed-over Bibles to these children. Because again, they have grown, and they have developed, and they have transformed. They are no longer infants who need to be baptized. They are no longer just learning how to read. These children can read, and they are in a stage of life where they can develop a real faith for themselves. And so this morning, we're not going to end here with giving them Bibles. We don't throw Bibles at people and expect them to get it, to be transformed, to be renewed, and to have this new birth. Of course not. Just like every other development of life, just like every other stage of growth, these children will need people to teach them and be examples to them about how to grow in their spiritual lives. And of course, that falls primarily to the parents, but also to all of us as their church families. Together with the families, it is our responsibility to teach them about Jesus, our cornerstone, to model a life transformed by grace, and to help them make faith a priority. But of course, before we can do this thing for our children and for our children's children, we have to make sure that we are at a place where we know what we're leading, where our priorities are right, where we can truly be an example for these kids. You know, as I look out this morning at all of your eyes and masks, I see a lot of familiar faces. And I feel really strongly saying that most, if not all of you, have grown up in the church. You know what it means to have a faith life. You know what it means to have a rhythm of faith and to be in faith communities with other people. But the truth is, we are still human. We are humans who get bogged down from time to time. We get distracted by the good 
and the bad things that life has to offer. We mess up, and the truth is that even the most faithful Christian needs a reset every once in a while. But the desire to reset our faith is step one. Understanding intellectually that we need to cling to Jesus as our cornerstone is one thing, but desire and understanding are only abstract unless they lead to action. We can comprehend the power of prayer. We can know the importance of reading our Bible and corporate worship all day long, but until we actively engage in it, it kind of falls flat. So to reset our faith, to make our relationship with Jesus a priority, we have to shift and change how we live, to be transformed in a way that leads us towards God and not towards anything else. We must change our schedules and mindsets to make the main thing the main thing. And I know that for some of you this morning, more scheduling and logistics sounds like a nightmare. You're either in one of two boats, right? You have so much going on that you're like, I cannot even think about that. I do not have any more space in my day to add anything else. It's just impossible. Or maybe you just like to go with the flow. You don't like to make plans. You love spontaneity and surprises for some reason. I am not that way. I love plans. I love schedules and logistics. Because to me, that's the only way that I can get things done. So this season has been very challenging for me, and I'm sure for all of us, wherever you fall on that spectrum of either loving logistics or really wishing you didn't have to plan anything else for the rest of your life. Think about every January, people make these New Year's resolutions, and they make this resolution because there's something about themselves or their lives that they want to better. But the reality is most people by February have fallen off of that resolution and they're no longer pursuing it because without a real plan and a real strategy, it's hard to make real change happen. As humans, we are always changing and growing and evolving, and we are shaped and defined by whatever we make priority in this life. Our actions and decisions will one day be our legacy. Peter knew this and was urging these newly baptized Christians to change their ways, to be transformed, to be more like Christ. Just like the term living stones is a bit of a paradox, so is the life we are called to as followers of Christ. We're called to a life that looks different from the rest of the world. You know, we're called to love our enemies, to practice peace and nonviolence, to serve and give freely, and to make space in our schedule for this relationship with someone that we can't see but know is there. We're called to invest in our spiritual lives as a reflection and and gratitude for all that God has given us. So how do we do this? I've told you I love logistics. I'm going to give you some practical steps because I think it's important, and I really believe that this is how we can reset our priorities. So Peter tells these Christians to long for pure spiritual milk. So let's think about it this way. What are the most basic easy to take in, easy to digest things we can do to make our faith life a priority. So the first thing that comes to my mind is thinking about how we can reset our prayer life. And I know for some of you this is not an issue, but again, I think we all have different needs and different things that our bodies are craving, our spiritual nourishment. 
So if it's prayer for you, perhaps you can think about incorporating prayer into your lives five times a day. When you wake up in the morning, before each meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then again before you go to bed at night. And if this truly is something that's really new to you and feels like a challenge, you can say, thank you, God, five times a day. And that is a prayer, and that is a start, and God will be honored in that. Perhaps for you, the spiritual sustenance that you need looks a little different, and perhaps it is a dedicated quiet time each day. Maybe that means getting up 30 minutes earlier in the morning and spending time reading the Bible and spending time just being with God in that moment. Maybe that would mean either giving up a little bit of sleep or a little time on Netflix or scrolling, but perhaps you could find 30 minutes a day of quiet time to dedicate to your relationship with God to make that a priority. Or again, maybe spiritual sustenance for you, the nourishment you need, means taking a walk in nature and giving God thanks for all of the beauty you see. Maybe it's journaling, maybe it's meditating, maybe it's listening to worship music to remind you what it's all about. There are countless ways that you can invest in your relationship with God and make your faith a priority from the comfort of your home, your car. You can squeeze that into your schedule in a very personal way. And then, last but not least, we have this church. We have services like this one where you come together with other people who are in the exact same boat, people who are seeking this deeper relationship with God and want to do it with other people in community. We have Sunday school starting up next week for children, for youth, adults. We're going to commission our confirmation class next week. We have so many ways that you can get plugged into the life of the church here and be in community with one another. I am not here today to, you know, guilt trip you for how you spend your lives or to judge you on how you spend your days. I am simply here to remind you and to remind me and to remind all of us that our faith in God and our relationship with Jesus is the most important thing, that it's more important than anything else we have on our schedules, that it's more important than anything else that's seeking your time and attention Of course, life is full of many joys that bring us happiness and life and laughter, but Jesus is the only thing that brings eternal life. By the grace of God, we are not condemned for making mistakes, for getting off track, for getting distracted. Instead, we are invited to come back home, to reset, to cling to Jesus as our cornerstone once again, and to hold on to the hope that only he can give to us. May we be so bold to reset our minds, our intentions, and our actions on Jesus, our cornerstone. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen.